China has released a peace plan with the aim of putting forward ideas that could stop the war. But are they realistic? The UN General Assembly's recent resolution demanding a Russian withdrawal shows overwhelming support for Ukraine, but the abstaining countries form a stable bloc. You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by UkraineWorld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist. In this episode, I speak to Maxim Panchenko, who is uh, Ukraine World's analyst and journalist. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the leading Ukrainian media NGOs. You can support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld. You can also support our humanitarian and volunteer trips to the frontline areas at paypalukraine.resistinggmail.com. Okay, Maxim, so this is our series around Ukraine. In this series, we discuss what is happening around Ukraine, what is happening in the international context. Uh, so let's maybe talk about the key topics uh, in the past week, what you think were the most important ones. So, of course, the most important one was the adoption of the resolution with regard to Ukraine by the UN General Assembly. We are also going to talk about the developments around the China's uh, peace settlement plan so-called, about Ukraine, but also, on the other hand, about the rumors that China might uh, deliver weapons to Russia. That is also important. We'll talk about the neighborhood of Ukraine, about what's going to happen or is already happening in Transnistria, about partisan warfare in Belarus. We're going to talk about the suspension of the START Treaty by Russia and how it impacts Ukraine and the broader international picture. And also we're going to dwell on the insights, on some of the insights that international press and foreign press has about uh, how the West is seeing the uh, conflict around Ukraine henceforth and how we might settle it. Yeah, let's talk with this uh, UN General Assembly resolution On the one hand, we see the overwhelming support for Ukraine. We see very little number of countries which are against. Of course, these are mostly Russia allies. Uh, But we also see a big block of countries who are abstaining. And uh, what is, in your opinion, what does this resolution uh, signify? Well, my major conclusion would be that... uh maybe counter to some expectations, this resolution was more about the form and about continuity than it was about the essence, about the, about some novelty in the uh, in what was written down there. Uh, there, again, may have been some uh, expectations about that, about the inclusion of the uh, President Zelensky's peace plan, uh, the 10 steps there. But generally, uh, for the most part, the resolution was the repetition of the things that had already previously been said uh, in the UN General Assembly, like the call for Russia to withdraw from Ukraine and the condemnation of the annexations, all, all those things. And so in this sense, the resolution has been uh, a way to uh, keep, uh, so to say, the hand on the pulse, as we say in Ukraine, right, of uh, what's happening uh, in the perception of the entire world uh, on uh, on, uh, Russia's war in Ukraine. That being said, uh, this uh, check-up of the the perceptions of the world has proven that um, the support of Ukraine has not uh, really uh, become less. We have the 141 
uh, votes in favor of the resolution and, if I'm not mistaken, 34 abstentions with uh, several, with seven, I guess, uh, votes against it. Uh, the club of the countries who have vo- voted against uh apart from the usual suspects. Uh, it has been broadened by Mali and Nicaragua, Mali because of the Russian uh, influence, domestic influence there, and Nicaragua because of its anti-Western uh, stance generally. Uh, so I would say uh, the bottom line is that the picture has not really changed much, which is good news for Ukraine because all of this talks about the fatigue from Ukraine. They are not uh, true just yet. Okay, so let's talk uh, in detail about these countries. Uh, seven countries against Russia, Syria, Nicaragua, Mali, Eritrea, Democratic uh, Republic of Congo, Belarus. Yeah, this is it. Uh, 32 abstentions. What is important for us is, of course, that uh, in this list of abstentions, there is China, there is India, uh, uh, there is um, Pakistan, there is South Africa. I think South, South Africa is very important. We see that there are attempts of Russian diplomacy to go to mm-hmm. South Africa and to get the support of South, South Africa, at least neutrality. There is Uzbekistan, there is Zimbabwe, there is Tajikistan, there is Uganda, Mozambique, Namibia, Mongolia, Kazakhstan, you, you see many uh, Central Asian countries, right? Uh, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan. Mm, uh, what else? What about Kyrgyzstan? Yeah, so basically the Central Central Asian ca- uh, countries are abstaining. And uh, many, many African countries. What is interesting is that Latin American countries like Brazil or Argentina are not abstaining, so they're supporting the resolution. What is also interesting is that, for example, such countries of Europe like Hungary, which you know plays a very special game uh, in the EU votings, it also supports the resolution, so, so there is no abstention. There is abstention by Iran, so Iran is not voting against the resolution, but is abstaining. abstaining. There are some countries which don't show up, and I think they are repetitively do so, like Azerbaijan didn't vote, um, Venezuela, um, Turkmenistan, by the way. Uh, interesting, right? So, uh, what it all means? It means, interestingly, that, for example, the, when we talk about Latin America, we see many Latin American countries who are actually supporting the resolution, like Argentina, like Brazil, like Colombia, like uh, what about what about Mexico? Mexico as well. Uh, what about Chile? Let's have a look. Chile as well, right? So this is a an important thing for uh, for for Russia because we know that there are you know big traditions of russian diplomacy in latin america of this uh, support of the soviet union support and this certain anti-americanism anti-north americanism but we see that these countries many of these countries are actually supporting the resolution but this block of abstaining countries in which we see primarily china india south africa interestingly indonesia which is the biggest uh, Muslim country voted for for this resolution. 
But these countries, I mean, do, do, do you feel that they kind of form a stable block right now, especially what worries me is India? Yes, I think when it comes to the abstentions, I think that each country has kind of its, its own story in this respect. For instance, China, I think apart from the fact that it is it needs to be balancing in this entire war uh, between uh, not going to belligerent with the West, maybe just yet, but still for the time being, uh, it is important, and uh, supporting Russia, which uh, should not be underestimated as China's potential uh, or actual uh, partner in many respects. Uh, when it comes uh, to uh, India, of course, this is even more important, or at least no less important, because, uh, again, the sheer amount of the population they have and how much impact that way they have on the economy and everything. So that indeed is a, uh, an interesting situation. When it comes to uh, African countries, yes, that's the major trend, I think, with regard to the uh, war in Ukraine. Uh, that they keep abstaining, many of them keep abstaining, and that has led to, we can see how there is this uh, standoff basically between Russia and Ukraine uh, in diplomatic efforts in the continent, how there have been uh, tours, diplomatic tours of Ukraine's and Russia's uh, foreign ministers to Africa and how we are trying to uh, make a round of scramble for, for Africa in a way. Uh, in, in diplomatic terms. Uh, of course, uh, very good news is Latin America, as you said. With regard to Venezuela and its being absent, I, I wonder if it doesn't have anything to do with the fact uh, with those developments around the oil embargoes that were lifted for Venezuela in order to enable the Western world not to be that much dependent on, on Russian energy resources. So maybe, again, Venezuela here is uh, some kind of balancing not supporting uh, Russia because it now has uh, bigger bonds with the West, so to say, but not betraying Russia again just yet. So that's interesting. Yeah, th this is interesting. But coming back to Africa, uh, we see a lot of countries which are actually supporting the resolution. And it's also very, very interesting. We see Algeria, uh, Algeria which is abstaining. But we see, for example, if we talk about Maghrib, uh, we see that Morocco supported the resolution Tunisia uh, supported the resolution and uh, Egypt, for example, uh, Egypt uh, supported the resolution, right? We also have lots of other African countries like Nigeria, for example, or Kenya or, or um, South Sudan or, or Rwanda, for example, that uh, supported the resolution. And um, I think this is a also a very interesting interesting thing and important thing because Russians are really trying to put a stake on this and mm -hmm. saying that look uh you know, we are organizing all this anti-colonial world all this anti-imperialist world and it should be united around Russia which is obviously a a, a lie and uh, a trying to hide uh, Russia's own imperial nature and uh, colonial nature but we see that at some aspects it is working in some others it it doesn't 
Yes, true. And uh, by the very by the very list of the countries that you enumerated that supported the resolution f- uh, and voted for Ukraine, we can see that those countries are uh, either the ones that have the strongest economic bonds with Ukraine, and not only in terms of volume, but in terms of nature of which resources are being uh, are being exported to uh, to those countries, like grain. Those are the countries that benefit directly from the grain corridor, for instance, and uh, generally from Ukrainian economy. Uh, that way, Ukrainian agriculture. There are also countries that are uh, either democratic countries, uh, like for instance, uh, within Africa, we could uh, say that Kenya, Rwanda, several others are gravitating towards towards that uh, that end, you know, of of the, of the political spectrum, democracy, and. Uh, Of course, there are also uh, interests. Well, not interests, but there are also the influences of the of the of Ukraine's partners on uh, African countries. Like, for instance, uh, many countries that have ties with France, basically with post-colonial powers, but that have kept bonds with their former metropolises, uh, language bonds, economy bonds, etc. So, I think that impacts too. The the biggest exception, of course, is South Africa. So yes. we will look uh, at these developments that are also very important. Uh, let us talk about China. So China, we, we talked about this in our previous episode when we talked about Munich Security for, uh, Conference. At that moment, China announced that it will publish its peace plan. Uh, now it published its peace plan. So what what can you talk about it? Well, Broadly, it can be summarized that uh, the plan reflected the rumors that had been preceding the plan about what it would contain. Uh, generally, the major concern about the plan is that, well, there are several things to be said here. First of all, this is not so much a peace plan as an outline of politics of China with regard to Russia's war in Ukraine. So this is more a position paper than a propoundment of what we should do about peace settlement. Or at least that is how Ukraine and the Western world uh, perceive that. Uh, secondly, uh, as expected, the plan or the position of China is basically more or less sitting on the fence, trying to give a couple of nods to Ukraine and to Russia. So it's not an equivocal position. Uh, what's important for Ukraine is that there are several uh, core things that Ukraine can support. Uh, it's the principle of the ter- territorial integrity that is written down in, in this, uh, uh, I will continue calling it as a peace plan, but mind what I said before that. Um, territorial integrity is important because we understand why China put it there, because of the because it wants the world to see its issues with Taiwan also as the issue of the territorial integrity and, China, and, and Taiwan needing to being included in the territory. So we understand the game here, but it plays into into the hands of Ukraine. Uh, also, there are all uh, well, smaller but still very important things like the need to uh, establish security zones uh, around the nuclear uh, uh, nuclear sites, like, for instance, uh, primarily, there's a Parisian nuclear power plant, uh, the continuance of the grain initiative uh, from Ukraine, which is going, the, the current iteration of which is going to expire in, I think, maybe a couple of weeks' time. So all those things are good for Ukraine. But also we understand that uh, there have been some uh, points in in this peace plan uh, that not, as I said, to towards Russia, like the need to negotiate, the need to uh, create the conditions for a ceasefire. And again, the wording here has been 
interesting. It's not a quotation, but I think instead of saying that uh, there needs to be an immediate ceasefire and then we negotiate about uh, territorial control, etc., etc., I think the actual wording in the plan is that uh, the parties need to uh, strive to create conditions for the stable ceasefire and peace talks. So, again, that is not the direct quotation, but the idea here is that it's not enforcement of, guys, you should stop where you control territories and, and you know, stop at that. But, the, but generally, the idea is that this needs to be coming to an end. Yes, and there is no <clears throat> no point about withdrawal of troops. Uh, yes. the, the key condition for Ukraine is, of course, that uh, Ukraine is ready to negotiate, but when Russia quits the Ukrainian territory, that's including Crimea, including eastern Ukraine. And look, when China talks about sovereignty and territorial integrity, it can be interpreted in many ways. Because for Russia, what is happening, right? Russia's interpretation is that Ukraine has occupied Russian territories. That's that's as surreal as it as it might sound. <laughs> yes. But uh, unfortunately, this is what is happening not only in the minds of Russian propagandists, but in the Russian legal order. Because in the Russian constitutional order, in the Russian constitution, five Ukrainian regions are considered as part of Russia, including those territories which... Russia did not control, does not control, and is not going to control. For example, the the city of Zaporizhia and big parts of the Zaporizhia Oblast, the city of Kherson, big parts of the Kherson Oblast, uh, big parts of the uh, Donetsk Oblast as well. So the problem is, with all these calls for negotiations, is that there is a time bomb written in the Russian constitution, even if, imagine that there is a settlement and we say that the line, the demarcation line right now, how it goes, it will, you know, have its legal uh, legal power and we agree on that. Parts of the Ukrainian territory uh, are now controlled by Russia and then there is a, uh, there is a ceasefire, etc. According to Russian constitution, parts of the Russian territories are occupied by Ukraine. And uh, this means that any peace settlement will open the gates for the new war. So we don't really know what is in this China plan. What does it refer to? Because Russia can say, yeah, we're for, for territorial integrity. Give us the, the territories that Ukraine occupied, mm-hmm. like Zaporizhia. Yes, indeed. That that sounds quite surreal. I agree. Um Yes. So the, I think that is something that can be included in the notion uh, of sitting on the fence when it comes to China. It has... Uh, provided these vague uh, wordings that seem to be just okay for the for the major part, uh, but they can be construed in different ways. So it's almost as if China is trying to leave a back door for Russia uh, and for the for its way of the conflict settlement of of well worse settlement. So there are several interpretations of what, what China is trying to achieve. The first interpretation is that. Uh, China actually wants to show itself to this abstaining bloc that we discussed, that it is the only party that wants peace. And we see that this actual interpretation is working quite well in the, let's say, those parts of the world which suffered which suffered from the colonialism. When we look at the press as the narratives which are developed in some of these countries, 
the narrative is that there is a fight between, okay, they, they might be not sympathizing Russia, some of them. They might be saying that, oh, yeah, Russia is an imperial power, no problem. But the West is also an imperial power. Ukraine is a battleground. So there is a big fight between two imperial powers, European imperial powers. And what we should do, we should expect they both uh, weakening, they both fall. And in this situation, China comes in and says, I'm the only one who proposes peace. Neither Russia nor Ukraine nor the West want peace. I'm the only country which wants peace. And therefore, China will be kind of a, um, consolidating these countries, um, which are both anti-Western and maybe anti-Russian, around itself. The second interpretation is that, and we will come back to this now, is that China is actually preparing a arms supplies to Russia, primarily artillery and drones, and drones are the key factor in this war. It is becoming increasingly the war of drones, and here the positions of Ukraine are extremely weak, I must say. Most of these recognition drones which are on the front line are actually Chinese DJI drones, Mavics and, and others. And um, of course, it, if China proposes the advantage Russia advantage in, in in this aspect, this will create a huge problem for Ukraine, for the West, etc. What do you think? Yes, indeed, uh, that will be a problem. And so far, uh, uh, China has already been confronted diplomatically and publicly uh, with uh, several statements that uh, there is information, there is intelligence that China uh, is uh, pondering on actually delivering arms to Russia, in response to which China has provided, I would say, uh, quite mixed signals. There have been responses that uh, do not, the West is not going to dictate us whether to provide those weapons or not, which is not the kind of answer Ukraine would expect for. We would expect a denial uh, and would be satisfied with a denial. There have also been some denials that, no, we're not doing that for the moment, like you are not telling the truth and your intelligence is all wrong. But uh, that is where this issue with the mixed si signals is uh, important because if indeed nothing had been going on, why would the signals be different? And um, speaking about China's goals here, I would say, I would assume that uh, basically, in the long run, strategically, China needs the new, uh, well, maybe not the new world order, or maybe ultimately so, but uh, China needs for the different rules of the game established. China wants... Uh, there was of the game that would be more, um, well, that would be better for its move against Taiwan. It wants the international law not to have that much uh, importance before China in, uh, goes against Taiwan, for instance. So the, I would say uh, that strategic goals of China here is to maybe help Russia not to lose, to, for, to help Russia make its point to to help Russia tilt this uh, uh, this balance, so to say, between the 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 rude power, uh, brutal power, and international law, uh, for the former to become more important in international relations, for that to create conditions to chi for China to follow in uh, Russia's footsteps. 
to follow that philosophy that international law has not been able to stop Russia from from gaining some uh, some territorial gains, geopolitical gains, and so China is going to try and do the same trick. Yeah, and uh, of course, it, uh, I think it's learning the experience of the United States in the First and Second World War. And the, the best strategy is to abstain from a big conflict and to let other big powers exhaust themselves and maybe enter the war uh, at the final moment mm-hmm. with a decisive strike. Maybe this is a strategy. Uh, because we really, uh, we on the one hand, we understand that there is a strategic, you know, closeness of Russian and China's regime. They are both... Uh, authoritarian regimes. They are both considering United States and Europe as their, um, you know, axiological, uh, ontological enemies. But at the same time, I think it would be more strategic for China to uh, actually weaken Russia and then uh, take benefit from the Russian resources. But uh, right now, you can you can judge that. It is either going in the way that Russia becomes an ally of China or it is going in the way that Russia becomes, not now but in a few decades, kind of a battleground between the West and China. This also can happen. But for for the moment, unfortunately, the trend is that this conflict is becoming more and more global. This is what Ukrainians were saying from the very beginning, from 2014, that this is not a local conflict. This is a conflict between value systems, between democracies and autocracies. And if this is true, we will see more and more autocracies entering the game, like Iran, like China, on Russia's side. And, um, and of course, this will not uh, lead to quick finalization of uh, an end of this war. Let's move on and talk about the rumors which we see uh, from several sources, actually. There was a publication in the German newspaper Bild. Uh, there are some other things that I've heard from uh, uh, from officials, which I cannot quote, uh, but who are saying that, look, there is a mood in some Western capitals that Ukraine needs to, you know, achieve a big victory this year or maybe in six months as uh, the newspaper build has said and if if that doesn't happen then ukraine will be pushed for negotiations what can we talk about what can we say about this i think that uh, it certainly deserves attention because that uh, speaks about how much the west would like to in a way to cap this uh, this uh, war uh, because there needs to be there need to be some lines, chronological lines drawn in this respect, and uh, those chronological lines depend on the dynamics. If nothing happens in a, a half a year's time, then the West and basically everyone should be preoccupied with where this is all going and whether it's going anywhere at all. The West. Uh, has has had enough with protracted conflicts, particularly the United States, when it comes to it protected, its protected um, involvement from way back in the day in Vietnam, in Afghanistan, and more recently in uh, the Middle East. So there is this. There are, there are some lessons they have learned from uh, where uh, f- from how these things go and how they should not go in Ukraine. So that's why I think that these rumors, they stem from this desire of the West not to, to let the war protect too much. And uh, 
also not to not for, for it not to spill over into uh, as you just mentioned in when we were talking about china into a global conflict because if parties keep piling up to the conflict and china steps in to different extents and increasingly bigger extents and when there is the step up of western support for ukraine if there is uh, if that's the case so it indeed starts in, incrementally starts risking Uh, becoming a third world war basically even if it is a pro- a proxy war you know maybe it would not be a direct confrontation between china and the west but still the amount of casualties the amount of weapons uh, stockpiled in a limited territory so maybe that deadline that you said about six six months this is the deadline that the west is trying to uh put on the situation and that way to manage it so we'll see what happens be- uh, before this deadline and then we'll leave it at that and we'll move on i think these old deadlines if they're real we don't know whether they're yeah. real are are actually a very big mistake because uh because what happen imagine what happens in six months and uh, uh we are still on the on the same line that russia controls you know some parts of the ukrainian territory we sign a some kind of ceasefire treaty or peace treaty like Minsk 3 doesn't mean anything because it means only the delay Russia will prepare itself for the new war and that's what was happening actually after the war of 2014 there is a certain logic of russian expansionism russia wants to restore the soviet union um role in the world therefore it goes to middle east to syria therefore it tries it goes very very strongly to belarus etc and of course the goal the not the goal but the uh, the uh, the big thing that the western world the democratic world should be thinking of is how to secure de- uh, democracy how to help it develop further not only in eastern europe but also far beyond in middle east and in in maghreb and in africa um etc etc and uh if we talk about this that well uh, we can sign a ceasefire then we should be prepared for the new war in 2 3 5 years and this should be in the calculation of the policy makers this long term thinking okay let's move forward and see uh, what's happening in the neighborhood of ukraine one of the key countries is belarus and uh, we can actually say that belarus is an occupied country lukashenko is not a legitimate president he's a dictator uh, who actually uh, uh, you know uh, fake the election then suppress the belarusian revolution already three years have passed right but he is facing also with resistance inside there was a, a information by uh, belarusian resistance by belarusian partisans that they actually blew up one of the recognition planes belarusian planes who was actually helping the russian makes in the on the territory of belarus and this was kind of a announced officially by these belarusian partisans that they actually have attacked this airplane with a drone so what does it mean does it mean that lukashenko will be facing with you know more resistance inside belarus well that uh, puts puts him in uh, quite a difficult position because on the one hand uh, he cannot be he tries not to be seen not to be seen as much of a villain as putin is seen in the world uh, but at the same time now he is uh, uh well 
obviously Putin still relies on him on he, on the uh, capacities uh, Belarus can provide to, for Russia and now the fact that uh, Belarus does not turn out to be that secure for uh, for the Russian military infrastructure uh, that of course is bad news for uh, Russia uh, so yes again this is a, a difficult position for uh, Lukashenko but what I can say uh, is that um, for Ukraine, it is unequivocally good news uh, because, first of all, the fact that uh, even the fact that this has been done by Belarusian partisans means that there are movements there, that there is support of Ukraine. And this, by association, signals uh, that uh, Belarusian people are not uh, eager to be embroiled in this war after all, that they are not want that they don't want to be used against Ukraine. So that is uh, a bit reassuring uh, in terms of how we perceive the threat from the north. And uh, secondly, of course, uh, the the very fact that Russian infrastructure can be uh, reached by someone where it is not reached by Ukrainians. This is important because there have been, uh, well, has been detailed information about the very limited number of this uh, kind of planes that Russia has. I think the ones that are equally qualitative uh, from among this type of uh, planes, uh, there are only maybe two or three other ones. Uh, of course, I think Russia will send another one, and, and the system will be reinstated, etc. But what important he- what's important here is the uh, well, the very little stack of these planes that Russia has, and the very limited resources it has. So, yeah, that that is the conclusion here to draw. I would not be that optimistic, saying that Belarusian people, you know, are right now able to stop the Belarusian Russian army. Uh, of course, these partisans' actions are very important. They are not that global and wide-reaching, reaching. But maybe it's also it can be a sign for Lukashenko, you know, to think twice. But we see that he has increasingly less and less power, and maybe he is just, you know, already a powerless man in, in Belarus. Maybe he he cannot even decide whether mm-hmm. Belarus will be engaged officially in the war or not. Interestingly, connecting with our previous topic is that. There are going to be two visits to China to talk to Xi Jinping, and one is Lukashenko and the other is uh, Emmanuel Macron, president of France. And inter- both, both these visits are interesting. Why? Because Lukashenko is going to talk with Xi, not Putin. Why? I think this is a sign that basically between Russia and China, nothing is decided, and therefore Lukashenko is sent like Russia's vessel to to test the ground and to maybe to prepare some talks because if Putin comes, that means that a certain agreement is already reached, of course. And maybe China does not want to show clearly that uh, there is going there is an alliance, right, between the two. And Macron, it seems to that he has given up on the idea of talking to Putin. We hope, at least it, what, what he said um at the Munich Security Conference, but we also understand that Macron is a is a is a is a leader that actually says uh, today one thing and tomorrow the other thing. Uh, but uh, maybe there is a try to reach out to to China from the Western powers, at least you know to make it abstain from any big support of Russia. And 
on several other topics briefly. The Russia's announcement, Putin's announcement that it is going to quit a big agreement on uh, arms agreement. What does it mean? Well, this is uh, all about the optics, about how Russia is trying to present what's going on in Ukraine as the uh, as the things happening in a bigger, in a broader context. Uh, how it, Russia basically tries uh, to prove that this is uh, the conflict between the West and uh, Russia. I think that the primary audience for that, well, it's twofold. Uh, the primary uh, audience for that is uh, Russian population, because that. To show to your population that things have uh, become so uh, difficult with the West, with the United States, that you are forced to, uh, you know, to, to go to these great lengths to suspend these kind of treaties. Uh, this is something that uh, intimidates the population and thus justifies Russia's own harsh uh, steps in Ukraine and against the West generally. Uh, so this is something that Russia needs to consolidate uh, grassroots support in order to move forward and to prepare its population for, for the dire things to come. And secondly, of course, this is the um, signal to the West about uh, how Russia allegedly is ready to go belligerent even in uh, nuclear sense. Uh, I think that maybe the effectiveness of this step is bigger in the mind of Vladimir Putin than it is in the perception of uh, those who are meant to be intimidated of the West. But still, this is not, nothing to be trifled with. Uh, of course, this is a threat that... Uh, this is a powerful, quite a powerful signal to be included and to be given credit to. But I think that the threat of the nuclear strike is increasingly less plausible given the China's actually criticism of any possible nuclear moves. So um, I think now everybody's concerned not so much about the nuclear strike but about China's involvement, interestingly. So yes. the, <laughs> the, the, idea, the ideas has, have changed. And maybe the last thing about, you know, Ukrainian neighborhood, about Transnistria, we discussed it a little bit uh, last time, The these uh, rumors about, well, not rumors, but information about the preparation of a coup d'etat in Moldova. What can we say about developments in Transnistria? Well, from where I said, uh, Russia is trying to use this small country for so many different uh, goals in the context of the war with Ukraine. Uh, first, uh, it tries to plan a coup d'etat in Moldova to destabilize Ukraine's Western Front. Uh, then uh, it tries to uh, further escalate the military situation in Transnistria to create uh, preconditions for it to become from to become another hotspot to uh, you know for uh, for there have to be maybe some warfare there or whatever and for Ukraine to be uh, basically forced to spend some of its resources. Uh, to divert them from the east and from the south to at least control what is uh, happening in uh, in the west all of a sudden in the west and uh, the third uh, aspect here is that of course uh, russia needs this for propaganda uh, thanks for propaganda uh, efforts because the picture that russia is trying to uh, paint here is that uh, look this is ukraine who is preparing something in Transnistria. This is Ukraine who is preparing to conquer it, to demilitarize it, to kill everybody there, whatever, you know, you know, all this nonsense, the, the usual 
uh, nonsense that Russia disseminates. So uh, Russia tries to show how Ukraine is interested, how Ukraine, basically it's saying, look, Everybody knows, Ukraine knows, West, the West knows that Transnistria is a threat for Ukraine, that uh, Ukraine would not, would like uh, not to exist anymore for Ukraine not to spend its attention there, but to concentrate on the South and on the East, which is why uh, Ukraine is going to destroy this, th- this enclave in order for it not to be a threat anymore. So Russia is making up things. And an important thing here is to understand the bottom line is that Ukraine has no such intentions. Of course, Ukraine is interested in controlling, in containing the threat from there, but not crossing any borders. Yeah, but at the same time, we understand that if Ukraine and when Ukraine wins this war, there will be the end of these Russian enclaves in Moldova, in Georgia and uh, many other parts of the world. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. Uh, Volodymyr Yermolenko and Maxim Panchenko were with you. You can support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld. You can also support our humanitarian and volunteer trips to the front line at paypal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. Let me remind you that Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Thanks for listening. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.